0: I'm Whitney. And I'm Taylor. And we're the ghost sisters. Boop. Boo, 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 boo.
1: <laughs>
0: yes. So we're going to start with just a little business. Whitney and I are both in the process of starting school. So Whitney is is going back to school and I'm of course starting a new semester as dean still. We're going to be taking a 2 week break so that we can get back into our schedules. The first couple weeks of class are always super hectic whether you are teaching them or taking them or administering them. Just wanted to let y'all know that we're going to be taking a couple weeks off so that we can get settled and focus on that for a minute and then we'll be back with Whitney's next episode whatever she was going to be doing cuz she hasn't told me. It'll be a surprise. So, it'll be something. <laughs> it'll be something. It'll well, be I'll something. tell you. I'll tell you what will be something. This 11-page thing of research that I've got.
1: <laughs> uh, but it's not technical. Correct? It's not technical
0: not technical we are covering my very first location feature over the trans allegheny lunatic asylum
1: aren't you not supposed to say lunatic anymore isn't that like not it's
0: the name of the place like it's the (laughs) official name
1: don't at me (laughs) all right speaking of a Taylor going on a tangent i wondered if anyone else manages to do this because it really like it bothers Taylor, and I know if mom and dad are going to listen, they're going to be like, Whitney, what the fuck? But any of you guys, whenever you're driving and you were on low, low gas, do I you I fucking like, hate it when she does this. <laughs> do you instantly go to the nearest gas station, or do you know your limit and how far you can make it? Because it almost, for me, it almost becomes like a race. I'm like, oh, oh, am I going to make it? Oh, am I going to make it? I always make it. I've never once run out of gas. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, on the way home yesterday, she was like, I have, what was it, 16 miles to get home, but I have 18 miles to the gallon, or 18 miles left on my tank. And I was like. Yeah,
1: but then you you keep going, and because you know speed and everything, so it got to where it was like, I have. 12 miles left on my tank, but I only have six miles left. So I knew like, I was going to be able to make it to the gas station that I normally go to, instead of going to one in like a sketch part of town. Hmm. I don't know. It's a fun little game just to see how like all that stuff goes. It's really just not curious. It's, it's, really it's not. a little interesting. It's kind of like whenever you've got your GPS on and it's like, oh, you'll be there in four hours and 30 minutes. And you're like, haha, I'll be there in three hours and 30 minutes. Like you race it. Okay, but doing that doesn't leave you stranded if you run out of gas. (laughs) So I'm never going to be stranded. I know my limits. I know my car. I know me and I know my streets. I know if I'm not going to make it, I'm going to pull over and get gas. But if I know I can make it, I'm like, haha, how close can I get? I never let mine get down that far. Once it hits a half a tank, I'm like, yeah, just top back off. I was literally down to like two miles left. <laughs> and this was a long time ago. And the Kroger down the street, it was literally one mile away. But I knew I could make it. So I made it home. Dear God. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, you- I, guess, I guess move on. We're yeah. done, with, done with me. Okay. Okay.
0: <laughs> so,
1: I... This is probably
0: going to be long. I'll just say that. I Taylor doesn't do short episodes. What? You, just, wh- you have a long episode? It's just how Crazy. mama rolls. <laughs> hmm So, we're going to start with the history of the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. Okay. But we're going to start before the actual construction began. So... This particular area was originally the settlement and farm of Henry Flesher Jr. and Sr. And Henry Sr. was the first person to live in the area that would eventually become Weston, West Virginia, which is where the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum is actually located. And the land was granted to him by Governor Patrick Henry in 1783. Okay. After 1796, the land was actually transferred to his son, Peter Flesher, and they named the town Flesherville, Fleshersville. That's what I did. I was like, yeah, don't i don't like that so mm-hmm. the fleshers also did not like this and they said that they wanted to change the name
1: to preston and because it name not say the-, the fleshers like the people like the people of the town because that's really exciting that you could go like you know you're a, a like texan or whatever or like no like the, the flesher family things was not oh. okay <laughs> they were like i don't want the town to be named that so they requested it I be mean, changed to preston and they got now no if they had kept it as flesher they definitely would be like the halloween town nowadays that's like legit. i i would go there and you would I mean, have like would, all sorts of haunted houses and stuff yeah i would go there they they kind of already do have haunted houses <laughs> Fake ones. They would have hay rides, they would have pumpkin carvings, and then you could go to the asylum. I got you. Okay. So, Mm
0: -hmm. Preston County, so they named the town Preston, and then just a little less than a year later, they actually formed Preston County. And so they were like, well, shoot, we can't have a a town named Preston and a Preston County, so we're going to change the name to Weston. And why not that, i don't know i no, don't know i mean that no like, i know what you're saying i okay. don't know why you can't have a town in a like isn't there because, an austin county yeah and then we have
1: the city austin yeah i don't so and there's like a travis and a tyler and yeah a dallas i don't think yeah. there's like a houston but so
0: but that was legit like the reasoning i saw was that Preston County was formed and they were like, well, we don't want to be that. So we're going to change it to Weston.
1: So well, maybe, maybe they were just like, let's get as far away from the flesh part of it. Probably. like, yeah. We're no longer naming it after the family. Just, yes. Let's move on.
0: So the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum actually went by several different names over its lifespan. It starts as a Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum in it was named this from 1858 to 1863. Then in 1863, it's renamed to the West Virginia Hospital for the Insane. And then 1915 is whenever it gets changed over to the Weston State Hospital. And it stays that until the 1980s. And then it becomes the Weston Hospital until it closes
1: in 1994. Wait. Didn't you just say it was the Weston from whatever to the 1980s and then the Weston again? It's the Weston State Hospital, and then it becomes the Weston Hospital. They oh. just got rid of the state part. Well, excuse me. <laughs> Pretentious. Mm-hmm.
0: So. This building was originally a total of 269 acres, and it was across from the West Fork River in Weston. And they purchased it for about $9,809.12. And in today's money, that's approximately $365,678.01. Oh, that, that penny. <laughs> that penny, dude. So... Once it was actually all built, the entire property encompassed a total of 666 acres. And I put 666? in my
1: 666? Yeah, it was like, ooh, spooky. It's <laughs> Rookers. We've it's not had spooky Rookers in a while. No, we haven't. Yeah,
0: because I haven't said spooky dookie.
1: <laughs> and I've not said spooky Yep. It's just, it's just been crazy. So.
0: Here is where Taylor got into her geological thing. This building is made of a hand-cut blue sandstone. And the second I saw blue sandstone, I was like, excuse me, because... Yeah, it was like, fake, fake, it's fake. Yeah, I was like, as a geologist, that don't make no sense. So I got a little bit further into that. It is a sandstone that was mined from the Harrison County Quarry at Mount Clare. And it's specific to the Dunkard Group. And this is a bluish gray sandstone that weathers to a yellow brown it's fine-grained and it can be conglomeratic in some places typically has thin to massive crossbeds so what this indicates is that it was in a a windy environment yeah Whitney's like I thought you said this isn't going to get technical well I was like you just
1: said a lot of things and (laughs) all I'm really wondering is so blue sandstone is a real thing
0: Yes, blue sandstone is a real thing. It makes up about 25 to 35% of the Dunker Group, and it originates from the Permian time period, which means that it's about 298.9 to 272.3 million years old at the surface.
1: You remember when you had that one student that was like, I'm taking this class to prove that the Earth isn't as old as it actually is, or they say it is? Yes. Yes, I do. I'm just bringing that back yeah. up. Anyways. She, was
0: a, she was a geology major and she said that the earth wasn't more than 2,000, 3,000 years old. And I was like, you, what, she was a conundrum to all of us. Really? So. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think about her often. Do you? <laughs> yeah. Because it just kind of like, I don't know, like, was she having an existential crisis or something? Did she need help that we didn't like help her? probably probably (laughs) (laughs) so this is
0: claimed to be the largest hand cut stone building in north america and it is the second largest in the world only second to the kremlin in russia so surrounded by a park and enclosed by a large wrought iron fence i think the fence is like four feet high or something like that and it was created to have easy to climb over Yes, easy to well, easy for athletic people to climb over. You can't see my fat ass doing
1: that. <laughs> I'm just thinking it's shorter than I am.
0: I can't, I can't like step over a waist high concrete block, Whitney.
1: <laughs> I'm just, you know, if I was stuck in the asylum, I'm thinking you could call. it could make it, it. you could make it. Yeah, that's especially fair. Okay. if I got like that that you know, strength going, that adrenaline and everything, just like yeet. Sure. Right over sure. the fence. Okay. So
0: it was created to house 200 to 250 patients. I found a bunch of sources on this. One says 200, the other says 250. So it's a bit, whatever. But
1: how many did it actually house? Because they always it, say it houses this many. And then they're like, but we put 3000 in there. It housed 2400
0: patients in the 1950s. Oh, damn. I was close. Yes, you were very close. Yes. There were 13 buildings total. I could only find info on 11 of them. For some reason, I couldn't find any info on the last two buildings. But there's the main building, which housed the majority of the patients. There was the medical center, geriatric center, forensic center, TB... Oh, there's a moth in here. Okay, good. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. Kelly's looking at the ceiling and I was like, okay, so the TB building, the original canteen, which I guess went up for demolition, and then the new canteen, which was built in the 1980s, maintenance building, women's auxiliary building, greenhouse pump house, and the criminally insane ward, which was built in 1949. So... This originally was built on what's known as the Kirkbride plan. And Kirkbride was a doctor that believed that the people with mental illnesses were not people that should be shunned away or that should be jailed or anything like that. They should be taken to a place that has light and fresh air and basically given a place for asylum, because asylum means safety or protection. Mm-hmm. He basically said, if we remove these people from the environment that's making them experience these symptoms, then perhaps they'll be able to get better. So the building was built according to the McBride plan. I'm sorry, Kirkbride, not McBride. And it was projected at a cost of $253,000, but additions brought the cost up to about three hundred and ninety five thousand dollars. In today's money that's about fourteen million seven hundred thousand dollars.
1: Yeah. And I mean, honestly, like you're already at two hundred. You might as well just bump it up to three hundred. Like, I mean, yeah, what minus well. Yeah. You know, pocket change. Packet change.
0: So it was designed to incorporate light, fresh air and nature into the building. The doorways were always positioned so that sunlight would flood all of the wards and there were open spaces for patients to gather and eat. The grounds were very nicely landscaped, very pastoral, very calm and kind of removed from society. Mm hmm. So it was under construction from 1858 to 1881. And the total cost when everything was all said and done was about $625,000, which is about $23,200,000 now. You said 1858 to
1: 1881? Yes. So So it took about 29 years. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So the... Original construction was authorized by the Virginia legislature as the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum or the Trans-Allegheny Asylum for the Insane. I saw both of them in my sources. And they originally allocated $50,000 for them to do this. The main building was designed by Richard Snowden Andrews, and he did a bunch of other hospitals that followed the McBride or Kirkbride plan. Why do I keep saying McBride? I don't know. I don't know. The work was initially done by prison laborers. And then there was apparently a prison escape attempt by these laborers. And then they were caught again. And then shortly after that, they started pulling in skilled stonemasons from Germany and Ireland. The construction actually began in 1858, but it was very quickly stalled due to the breakout of the Civil War. And basically the government of Virginia, because at this point it's all Virginia, The government of Virginia said, we want you to return the unused funds of that $50,000 that we gave you so that we can use it to support our military. Because of war. Yeah. So there was a group known as, basically, they were going to reorganize the government. So the pro-Northern reorganized government of Virginia stole the money so that they could use it to fund their, you know, coming into power and stuff. And they added... Yeah, they added $40,000 to the construction so that they could continue to build the asylum. Wait, 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 wait,
1: wait. So they stole 50000 but gave them 40000 So really, they only stole 10000
0: No, so they stole 50000 from them to get the pro-Northern reorganized government of Virginia started. And then once they had enough, they were paid them $40,000 to keep it going.
1: Oh, but not the full amount. They were like, "No, ah,
0: We need that extra 10,000. That 10k was a finder's fee, thanks."
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, Taxes and shipping.
0: Yes. There were raids that occurred where soldiers would come through and steal blankets, boots, clothing, and other goods, and they would run the men off the property. And what? one of my favorite stories from this was one person that was working the property had his boots stolen. And then maybe, like, a week later, they were placed, like, behind the fence where the gate was. And there was a note on it that said, sorry, these are too small. (laughs) So he got his boots got returned back to him.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, at least he, like, didn't just take them and was like, ah, they don't fit. And then threw them away or something. He was like, I guess I'll give them back. I guess, yeah. But they're on the other side of the fence. So all he can do is, like, stare at them.
0: No, no, no. So he, the guy, like put
1: them over the other side of the fence so that they were on the asylum oh, side so of the, the fence. Okay. Cause I was like, yes. that's really a dick move to be like, okay, I stole your shoes and then I brought them back, but you still can't have them. So, <laughs> yeah. So
0: each time the, area was raided it set construction back by three weeks so they were raided twice so it set construction back by about a month and a half
1: now how are these guys able to rate it like it just didn't have really good security yeah it wasn't in operation
0: at this time it was under construction
1: oh uh, okay yes okay, okay
0: yes so the clock tower was completed in 1871 and the western oh i'm sorry weston dim Oh god, Western Democrat in 1871 issue said the following about the clock, clock tower, quote, "The large clock in the cupola will soon be finished. It will be like some politicians having three faces. The large bell which tolls the departure of the hours can easily be heard for some miles around." I just greatly enjoyed the three faces thing.
1: <laughs> That's where I was stuck. I was like, "So you are admitting that politicians are two-faced?" Sorry, if you're yeah. a politician, it's kind of the reputation. Yes, um, and yeah, for those,
0: good. yeah, the, for those who don't know, the cupola. Because I didn't know what a Capola was. It's the domed part of a building, like on, like a turret or something like that. It's like the domed hmm. on a church or something. They also built segregation rooms for people of color. Those were competed, completed in 1873. They also added a gas well in 1902, and the gas well actually allowed them to be much more independent than they already were. A lot of their food and goods and all of that kind of stuff was in-house. So they had their own farm, they had their own dairy, they had a seamstress, a carpenter. I want to say at one point, they were churning out and mending 14,000
1: garments per year. Damn. Damn. So, like, it sounds like that's the place to be for a zombie apocalypse kind of deal. Like, it's still a little town, so. Yes, exactly. The hospital actually opened
0: before it was finished with construction. So, it opened in 1863 as the West Virginia Hospital for the Insane. And the first superintendent was Dr. James Hall. He was very quickly replaced by Dr. R. Hills. And...
1: But it didn't
0: really say. It just said that he, I think he found a better opportunity and was just like, yeah, see ya. Hmm. So they started taking in patients on October 22nd of 1864. And they started with about 57 patients. Of those was a 37-year-old housekeeper from Ohio County that was committed for domestic trouble.
1: Okay. I came.
0: To believe that domestic trouble meant that they were being domestically unruly, like they weren't following what their husband was telling them to do.
1: So we're getting into eating, eating graham crackers to keep lust down. What? What? So that's (laughs) that's an actual fact is graham crackers were actually invented as a way, like it was such a bland food that they were like hey you're horny as fuck eat one of these you'll be fine and that was supposed to subdue like sexual urges i love graham crackers what what <laughs> yeah that that was i believe it was graham crackers but uh yeah that was the things they did way back when uh hmm. especially with women yeah yeah just you yeah mm-hmm she probably the, was like, "I don't want to make dinner tonight," and he was like, "Get get to the asylum, bitch." So. Yeah, I mean, that is basically what a lot of them were doing.
0: Another woman was thirty three year old. She was a housekeeper from Brook County. She was said to have been admitted because of acute dementia caused by the war. I don't know what the hell that means. So I don't like whatever PTSD
1: kind of thing.
0: I guess yeah, that's all I could. I mean, I could see if she to. was
1: in like one of those. Because they did have a lot of stuff, especially on those borders, where, like, Mm -hmm. those properties would be taken over. And I could see, like, if she was on one of those, having PTSD from the war.
0: Yes, very much so. Because this is right around the time that West Virginia is actually split from Virginia. So I could Mm. see that being a thing.
1: West Virginia.
0: (laughs) Mount Mama. Okay. So people could be admitted for ridiculous things grief brain congestion feebleness of
1: intellect seduction and novel reading <laughs> what i what, i have so many questions i want to know what brain congestion is
0: i i mean i can is only that like brain fog or like headaches migraines that's what i thought of was brain fog just i mean I had such brain fog. I had a migraine two days ago and I had such bad brain fog after it that I was literally just like, all I can do is lay here on the couch or on the my bed and just watch TV and pretend like I understand it. Like
1: I mean, I forgot the word for tomato the other day because <laughs> of my migraine was so bad. I was like that red thing, you know, with the the stuff inside and it's you know, and my like, chef with, was like with salad. Yeah, she was like, I, I don't know, but I'm gonna pretend I do, and I was like, yeah, tomato, that's what it was. Mm-hmm. Yep. So yes. I would be in that asylum, apparently.
0: Uh huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So apparently, going to your whole life, you didn't make dinner correctly, so go to, or you didn't want to make dinner, go to the asylum thing. Husbands that wanted to keep a mistress and just wanted their wives out of the way would just take them to the asylum and abandon them.
1: Yeah. That yeah. sounds about right. Yeah i also wanted to know about that seduction one so like they just were <laughs> no. like like they they just were too sultry or something and they were like nah nah fuck nah. that get out like that's oh, the nope. devil's work <laughs> that's the devil's work like no 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 take that red lipstick take those high heels and get the fuck out like yeah. what yeah. <laughs> i don't understand
0: yeah, they, it was ridiculous things. I mean, novel reading, like a woman has a brain. That's, yeah, basically well, yeah, what that, that came was, down to. that's
1: ridiculous, so.
0: That's basically for women, it was like you're either too smart because you're reading novels or you're too dumb because of feebleness of intellect.
1: Or I just don't want you. I just don't want you, so please go live over here. Thanks. So please, please get out. Yes. Yeah.
0: So of the 57 patients that were brought in, three died eight recovered nine were discharged and one eloped i'm assuming eloped means escaped
1: yeah i would assume so what did the three die of it didn't say they died
0: yeah it just said they died but there is a so i got a book whitney i bought a book for this oh shit it is the haunted history of the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. It's written by Sherry Brake, and she actually goes into a series about the deaths that were in here. She has a whole list of reasons that the patients were actually admitted, and it also actually goes into the different salaries of the what the people made made back then and stuff. And if you were a superintendent, you were doing good. You were making like two thousand bucks a year, which is a lot back then. Damn. Yeah. So this is where I got a lot of information. And on top of that, I also read a dissertation for this.
1: Wow,
0: look at you. You are like researching it up. I did the fucking thing. In 1867, the census stated that we're 45 patients and then construction is still going on through this. The ultimate cost... At the end of construction in 1881 was 725 thousand dollars. So we're way over budget than from what we ended up with. There were
1: it makes me think of like Love It or Listed or whatever, and they're like, "Well, <laughs> we're not going to be able to redo the bathroom because
0: we're, we're at over a budget. wood
1: burning st- stove, and we need to put a gas burning stove." <laughs> right? Somehow now it like went way back in time. Anyways, uh huh, yeah, yeah. So it housed. We were already over the maximum
0: capacity of the asylum at this point. So in 1881, mm. we were already at 717 patients, with it being 325 males and
1: 392 females.
0: damn. Yes. So now that the place is finished with construction and actually in operation, we see a lot of local farmers helping out with food, milk, beef. They had to import beef and that kind of stuff. But for the most part, they were pretty self-sufficient. Mm -hmm. the control of the hospital and I think this is kind of where things start to get a little shaky in 1909 the control of the hospital gets changed over to the from the local board of directors to the West Virginia board of control in Charleston so we're not just seeing the you know a local branch, of local board of directors has a little bit more control over what's going on at the hospital in real time versus a West Virginia board that's over a whole bunch of different hospitals because there's a whole bunch of asylums already yeah. in, in place in West Virginia. You're kind of taking away a more direct supervisory board and giving it to a less direct supervisory board. So I think that's partially why we see the quality of treatment deteriorate.
1: Yeah, because no one's really keeping anyone in
0: line with it. Well, and on top of that, you're talking about a massive amount of people and not enough staff. I mean, at one point, the nurses were, it was like 300 patients to one nurse. Oh, shit. And that's, yeah, that's just not possible. It's, It's insane. A lot of it was just the way that the hospital became viewed over time was more as a repository for the unwanted, as Mm. opposed to, as opposed to a place for recovery and rehabilitation. Yeah. So in 1913, the name changes over to Western state hospital. And in 1953, we change control of the hospital again to the department of mental health. And this is where we get to the all time high of 24, uh, 2,400 people in the Jesus asylum. Whenever we get into the 1960s, we start to see a decline in the number of patients because we're starting to see more mental health treatments come out that are effective in managing these mental illnesses. That being said, a lot of what was brought to the Weston State Hospital were not mental illnesses. It was things like Goiters or heartburn, or you know, things, asthma, things that should be treated by a medical doctor, but people were literally just like, You're broken. I don't want to deal with you. I'm going to send you here. You Which is terrible. <laughs> you broke. <laughs> so, you bore me. Yes. So in 1957, the mental health part of the Department of Mental Health was just rolled into the Department of Health, and that's what took over. So we're having a massive changeover of control of this hospital. The 1980s, it changes again to the Department of Health and Human Resources. And then in on January 26, 1986, the West Virginia Governor, governor Arch Moore, I'm assuming it's Arch Moore, like Archie, he announced that the hospital had officially lost its distinction as a mental institution. Wow. Dis, yeah. Despite this, in 1990, it was named a, the main building was named a National Historical Landmark. So over time, the treatment of the patients just got worse and worse. We start to see the outflux of patients over time. The older patients are dying off. 1994, the hospital is officially vacated due to the building of the William R. Sharp Jr. Hospital, and it's a newer facility, so the patients were moved over there.
1: Hmm. So 1999. I didn't didn't realize how recent this all. Yes, yes. Was like, yeah, you started in the 1800s, but like, we're you just said 1999, like, we're not that far away from that, so right,
0: (laughs) right. So, this is possibly just anecdotal, it may not be true, but it's something that I saw that in 1999, the interior of all four floors of the asylum were completely ruined when a group of police officers came to play around a paintball for one night. And three of the officers were fired because of this.
1: Because they like, defaced
0: a National Historical Landmark.
1: Well, you defaced it and like, bruh, yeah, your job. Like, You're supposed yeah. to be preventing people from doing this shit. Like, Great. come on, man. Yes. From
0: 1994 until 2007, it sat vacant. In 2007, it was purchased at auction by a millionaire, billionaire, something like that. Sure. And yeah, and now it's privately owned. So it that's when they switched the name back to the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. They host tours and other events to save up money to restore the property. They have restored quite a bit of it already. So that's great. That's cool. The I'm going to go into the different types of hunting tours that they have, but some of the upcoming events that they have, they just held a flea market and it was one of the largest flea markets in the state. They have a haunted house. They have paranormal tours. They have ghost hunts. They have an event called Hearse Mania, which I was like, the hell is <laughs> it?
1: Yeah. It makes me think of like, oh my gosh, what's the the monster truck rallies and stuff? But it's all like yeah. hearses and stuff. And then yeah. they can actually Dem- have the Grave Digger. The grave oh. Digger! <laughs> I love it. That'd be great.
0: And then they're also home to something known as the Asylum Ball,
1: which I was like, Hmm. <laughs> I would go.
0: I would go. I, I would.
1: Oh man, I would dress up and everything. Like, oh shit, yeah, I want to yeah. go. That would be cool.
0: Okay. Well, we'll make it so they have a whole list of things you can do. They like have an from, itinerary. Yes.
1: So a and they've
0: they've got events that you can do that are only available during their special events. So I'll get into that in a second. Okay. So before we get into that stuff. Let's talk about the tragedies that happened on the property.
1: Oh, yeah. Let's bring it back down. We were too excited. Yeah. Let's go. Too excited. Yes. Back down. So October 3rd,
0: 1935 at 10 p.m., a fire breaks out in the attic of Ward 6 in the South Wing. And mm-hmm. up to this point, there had been little fires set because you've got mental patients in there and you're likely to have a pyromaniac in there. So you see these or fires Um accidents. Set. Yeah, I mean, there could be accidents, but all of the little fires that they found were set by, in I say inmates, set by patients. Ah. So this one was admitted to having been started by an 18-year-old male who started a fire with some papers and then it got out of control too fast for him to put it out and he got scared and he ran. The rumor is they used, they were like, we don't know how we're going to get all 400 patients out of this building without causing mass panic. So they rang the dinner bell. Because the cafeteria was in a different building from the one that was on fire, and all the patients were like, okay. (laughs) They managed to get all 390 patients out into the cafeteria. And um, I'm
1: sure the cooks were like, wait a second. Like, what what the the fuck? fuck? What? It's not, it is 11 p.m., y'all. Like, what (laughs) the fuck? Yeah. So,
0: Three people managed to narrowly avoid death. Oddly enough, there were no injuries and no fatalities in this fire. So it's great. But it did completely destroy the building. Wow. So one man was sleeping in the attic and he woke up to find that he was trapped by the flames. He went to the window and one, of, two of the firefighters pulled a ladder up. The guy managed to bend the bars because there are bars on the outside of the windows to keep patients from jumping out of them. He managed to bend the bars and get through them and they carried him down to safety.
1: That adrenaline, man. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And then two more men were able to escape a crushing death whenever part of the roof and the cupola crashed down where they had been standing just a few minutes earlier. Oof. Yes. So that's the, the main... I don't want to say natural disaster because it was a fire that was set, but it's the the only
1: non-murdery thing. <laughs> oh, we're going to get yeah. into it. <laughs> that was, it was not what I was expecting. I thought you were going to say like, I don't know, like death kind of like, just because there were no deaths in there. So I thought you were just going to be like, you know, it was just a noteworthy incident. But then you said yeah. murder. Yeah, there's really? quite a bit. I need to so know but be- about the murder,
0: yes, we'll get to it. Before we get to that, I want to talk about the employee schedules and their pay because this led to a bunch of tragedies. So, in the beginning, employees were expected to do twelve hour days. And Ugh. you're talking about twelve hour days with three hundred patients to one nurse. And that's, yeah, going to
1: say, I've done twelve hour days in the kitchen, and it's it's a no. It's a not yeah. for me, dog. I can't imagine nurses like even now, Oh nurses, yeah. like doing. Yeah. You guys rock! Like, wow. Deaf. Like, yeah.
0: I. I have always said whenever I have students that are like, "Oh, I'm going to be in nursing school." I'm like, "Man, it takes
1: a real special person to be able to do that." Like, yeah, I not know. only like caring for people, but like doing those shifts because you know you're yes. you're not sleeping well, like mm-hmm. and doing it with a smile on your face. Yeah,
0: like I can't. I. I go through a 12-hour day at my job where I literally, I can lock myself in my office and not talk to people if I want to. And by the end of it, I'm like, if you look at me, I'm going to kill
1: you. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, just doing like four or five hours at my job where I've got a bunch of people running around, like, it is it is exhausting. So I can only imagine having, you know, not just so many people that you are dealing with, but also that you you are... Literally, their life is in your hands. Like, yep. oof, damn, y'all. Yep. And yeah. especially for the
0: nurses and the staff here, because not only are they working 12-hour days, they're only getting a day off every week or two. Oof. So, Yeah. And so they would wake up at 5.45 a.m. They would start doing their rounds, waking up patients. They had a 10 p.m. curfew unless they got special permission to stay out until 11.30. Oh, wow. Um Yes. They did switch to eight-hour days eventually. And they got their, you know, they got to work in shifts and get some time off. Mm-hmm. However, they're dealing with patients that are violent and that will attack them and that kind of stuff. So you're already on low sleep. You're not getting paid enough because they were actually, they were paid so little that many of them started resorting to stealing from the hospital in order to get by. And then most of the employees were paid so little that they qualified for food stamps. The annual salary for a nurse at Trans-Allegheny in 1990 was $16,000. Wow. Yeah. So You're not getting paid, you're having to steal to make ends meet, and you're having to be up 12 hours a day, and on top of that, your patients are attacking you.
1: And you live on the property?
0: Yes, you live on the property.
1: So, like... So, wait, wait a second. They have to steal to make ends meet, so that implies they have to pay for their room and board, Mm right? Right. Yeah. And for their own food and all of that.
0: Yeah. That's my understanding. Like if they, if there were some that lived off premises and some that lived on premises, most of the time it was the attendants that lived on premises. Mm. So yeah, that was what they called the people that the nurses that actually helped with the patients were attendants. Okay. So yes. So you've got. Very poorly treated employees just due to the fact that you've got so many freaking patients. And then on top of that, there are very horrific treatments. So there is, I saw one site said that there were 400 to 500 deaths estimated. And then another site that said it was closer to 30,000. Jesus Christ. So I was like, whoa, either really low or really high. But there are 2,000 people buried in the cemetery. So I'm leaning more towards the 30,000. So what do you think happened to those non-buried people? So that actually comes up. Oh, God. Okay. Yeah, that comes up here in a little bit. So... I'm going to go through the list of treatments that they used to do. First was bloodletting, which is literally yeah. for those who don't know what bloodletting is, it's tourniqueting a part of your body and then slicing into a vein and letting the bad blood run out. So this was back in the day. It was, I think bloodletting was still used up until about the 1950s, sixties, but it's since has been. It so wasn't at the
1: same America. was like leeches.
0: Yes, the leeches would drink the bad blood out of you and toxins yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. The next one was insulin coma therapy. This is sorry, injecting what? yeah, injecting insulin into patients to force them into a, a diabetic coma as a form of anesthesia. Why don't you just
1: use anesthesia? They didn't have it. Then... I don't know, knock them out or something. Don't put them into Mm -hmm. a coma. Mm -hmm.
0: So along with that, another way that they would put people, they would basically knock people out in order to do surgeries and that kind of stuff was electroshock therapy. So they would lay somebody down on the table, put electrodes against their temples, and then run a voltage through them. And the people that underwent these, so this was typically the anesthesia that was used for lobotomies, which we'll get into. The patient would start to convulse. Eventually they would go unconscious. One patient actually died because they went into cardiac arrest due to the voltage moving through them. Cause duh. duh. And then some would receive this up to three times a week. Even if, yeah, even if they protested against it because the doctors believed it was in their right to do that treatment. Yeah. so. So some of them would receive serious brain injuries and never recover from this. The patients always ended up being dazed and confused. And basically, everybody was like, I'd rather them be dazed and confused than causing problems. So it's kind of like with a toddler where you're like, as long as they're occupied, I don't care what's going on. Yeah. So it was reported by the patients that received this treatment that it was like having a bomb fall on you or being in a fire and getting burned up. Ah, So that's awful. Yes. So lobotomies... Specifically a transorbital lobotomy known also as the ice pick method. This is some, yes, this was something that was brought forward by Dr. Walter Freeman and this dude. Well, okay, we'll get into it. So the way that this works is you are knocked unconscious or one form or another, a one or two prong device is driven through the orbital socket of your eye and into the brain. And basically once it gets in there, the doctor takes the thing and jams it around and like wiggles it around to destroy whatever part of the brain they're trying to focus on. And it was thought to ease the severest symptoms of this. There was one dude, and I'm assuming that this is Walter Freeman, performed 228 lobotomies in two weeks. And typically they would take
1: him like 10 minutes at a time. So yeah, so he, at that point, he's not focused on a specific part. He just legit is scrambling brains. Like, he. Oh, yeah. To do that many, and I mean, also to do any of them, mm-hmm. really. I mean, back then, of course, you thought you were helping, but like. Guys. So, Walter Freeman was
0: famous for doing these lobotomies. He would do them for $25, which is about $503 in today's money. And he made a spectacle of it. He would encourage people to come watch him do this. So he is most famously known for doing a lobotomy on John F. Kennedy's sister, Rosemary. She was 23 years old, and they believed that she had some mental disability and that lobotomy would cure it. She ended up with severe mental and physical disabilities after this because duh. And basically Walter Freeman didn't have anything done to him because he was like, well, it's experimental. Well, over four decades, he is thought to have performed 4,000 lobotomies,
1: 2,500 of which used the ice pick procedure. And when did, when did lobotomies become unacceptable? Like, I'm just wondering, at what point were they like, okay, Freeman, we we got to lock you up. Yeah,
0: here is that moment. Helen right. Mortensen was his very last patient. She received her third, she was receiving her third lobotomy from Freeman. She third. died, third, she died of cerebral hemorrhage on the operating table. And they basically said, nope, you're done. And they called for him to be banned from doing any more lobotomies. So, from that point on, he decided, I I'm done. Because, you know,
1: he's at retirement age anyway. Okay. So, he's banned from doing it. But there's no legal holding on him at all. He just, nah, you're done. And he's like, yeah, you're right. I'll, I'll finish. I'm good. Nothing like, hey, you, one, did this to this person three times. But then, two, murdered her. Like, I'm sure she didn't want it.
0: I have no idea. I mean, at this point, you're talking about mentally ill ill, ill patients. And you can, back then, make the
1: The claim that they
0: didn't know. Or they they didn't know what they wanted. They didn't know what was best for themselves. Yeah, No, there was no legal ramification for him. It's Mm. likely that hundreds of patients died under his use of this. Many of them had to be retaught. and Well, not many of the people that died, but those who survived had to be retaught how to eat and how to use the bathroom. Lots of them would have relapses back into their mental illness. Some of them never recovered. And it's reported that about 15% died. Jeez. So here are some horrific facts, as though it hasn't already been horrific. Freeman never wore gloves or a mask when he did these.
1: <laughs> uh-huh. That just like... Not only from like a sanitation point, but like, bleh, like yep, <laughs> just <bleh. laughs>
0: yeah. So he also lobotomized nineteen minors, including a child as young as four years old. What?
1: Yes. No one at any point was like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa." whoa. They can't drink, so we shouldn't shouldn't take their mind. Shouldn't? Nope. Knock that shit.
0: Nope. Kay. So you want to know what the big kicker is? Do I? This man was never formally surgically trained.
1: Shocking, yeah. Shock- shocking. What's yeah. even more mind-blowing than that is those that were hung on. We're letting every him do. Word. We're doing the yeah. thing. Yeah, that's yeah. insane.
0: Yes. So those are lobotomies. We've still got several more treatments <laughs> that are horrific. Agree. The next one is the ice water or continuous water bath. And it is reported that 1,200 patients received a total of 4,404 baths that averaged on seven hours each. So what this is, yes, what this is, is you place the person in a hammock, you submerge the person from the neck down and put a canvas over the bathtub so that only their head is protruding from it. Oh, no. They could be in there for hours or even days. They believed that the bath would induce fatigue without hurting the mind and stimulate the excretory function of the skin and the kidneys. Basically, you relax so your body will start to flush out whatever toxins are in you.
1: But somehow, the thought of being trapped in a bathtub and not being able to move is not going to cause psychological damage?
0: Yeah. Really?
1: Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay.
0: The next one is the needle shower. Nope, I'm out. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a needle shower, but 2,000 patients received this. It's the pummeling of patients with high pressurized water, about 40 pounds per inch, at 50 degrees or at about 50 degrees, felt Fahrenheit, wow, for a minute or two. And this was thought to stimulate heat and blood and was able to help depressed patients. I mean, honestly, I mean, that's cold for me, but, you know, get me under a hot water thing and do some high pressure water. That sounds pretty good to me. I'm yeah, not, I'm not condoning that, that into by like, any
1: means. Well, what you're talking about is like jets in a. Yes. In like yeah, a like whirlpool the, or
0: something. The hydro massage that you could get in the mall. Yeah. 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 Yeah, like that. yeah, That's
1: what I'm talking about. Yeah. But I don't have a feeling this was for relaxation purposes. No. No, especially with cold water.
0: Yeah. So <laughs> the next one is known as a wet pack and 12 patients received this or a reported 12 patients received this, but probably more at an average of five hours each. Basically, you take a naked person, you lay them onto three blankets that are wrung out with cold water. You wrap the blankets around them and you leave them there with a cold pack on their head.
1: So you induce hypothermia.
0: Yeah. So you, they could only move their head, fingers, or toes, and whenever they originally started with, you'd be there for a few hours, but as the population increased, it was harder to keep track of how long somebody had been there, so they could be left there for days. So as the sheets dried, they would tighten around the body and force the body heat to be retained, and that would make the patient feel like they were burning or suffocating. So, this was thought to be beneficial in treatment for restlessness. Sure, burning a water
1: sounds very restful.
0: Yeah. So that (laughs) last pack part about being feeling like you're burning alive—that's known as a dry pack. They, of course, had seclusion cells. They a lot of the staff were told you are not allowed to restrain a patient. For if the patient gets violent or something like that in the early parts of the thing. So they were typically just taken to seclusion cells. And they could be kept there for days or weeks at a time or for as long as the physicians or the staff wish them to be in
1: there. Mm, Okay. Mm -hmm. Because seclusion has not proven to be any issue on someone's mind at all. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Another thing that they would do is forced sterilization. Nope. Yep. Basically, if a woman kept having babies, but she was not in the mental state to handle the babies, they would forcibly sterilize her to keep her from having more.
1: Mm. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: They were, after a while, allowed to use restraint. They would use straight jackets, cuffs, sleeves, bed straps, and cribs. Cribs were literally beds with iron bars on them that the patient could be strapped down to. Damn. Yes. And then over time, we start to see the formation of medications that they would use for controlling the patients. So the first one is chlorpromazine. Oh God, chlorpromazine. Also known as thorazine. This was used initially to treat psychotic disorders. And it's basically a sedative. It was enough that it could basically put you into a catatonic state. So if you got, you know, unruly or violent or something like that, they would inject you with this and you would be put into a catatonic state. And it became known as the chemical lobotomy over Mm. time. In the 1960s, it was thought to be a cure for schizophrenia. Obviously that is not the case. So that's fun. And then we have laudanum, which was an opiate. They gave these to patients regularly regularly to control pain. So opiate addiction was given. Metrazole was used as a circulatory and respiratory stimulant. This replaced electroshock therapy. And yeah. So those are the treatments that were used on the patients on a day-to-day basis. Dang. It is needless to say that a lot of the patients
1: were super violent. So a lot of our. Yeah. After the. Any of that, you would become violent, even if you weren't when you went in, because you don't want anything happening to you. Exactly. You got your fight or flight going, like, mm mm-mm.
0: Right. So a lot of the female, well, I say a lot, several of the female employees were raped. A lot of the staff was attacked. One nurse went missing and was found two months later at the bottom of an unused staircase. Damn. Damn many of the violent were kept in cages, literal like prison cages. So there are some specific events that occurred. First is 1927, Mrs. a woman named Mrs. Hoffman. She was in the hospital for only 48 hours and she was restrained for much of this time. She had bruises on her shoulder, arms, back and lower limbs. And the family questioned the treatment of the hospital. Basically they were like, she didn't have these when she came in and now she
1: got these. She's only been here for two days.
0: Yes. She came in suffering from a goiter and she had gone to her church because that's what she did back in the day. And the minister told her God would heal her. Well, she started acting really strange after that. She started thinking she was the Virgin Mary and that her doctor was God. So she started singing loudly. Yeah. And not eating. They gave her a lot of morphine injections. They gave her five to six morphine injections when she got to the hospital at Fairmount and then two more in the morning when she was transported over to Weston. That's a lot of morphine. Yeah. (laughs) So she was extremely ill in the car and whenever she got to Weston, she became violent because she was like, y'all are mistreating me and you know, I would be violent too.
1: Morphine knocks you the fuck out. So I'm sure she got there and was like, I don't know where the fuck I am and why I'm here or any of that. I would get belligerent. Like. Right. Ah. Oh, yeah, definitely. So,
0: ultimately, after they laid this case out, the judge determined that the hospital had acted within their rights to protect themselves and the patient, and they were not at fault for her ultimate death.
1: Mm-mm. So, yeah. I would sue the judge. Then, I would be like, change it. You fix that. You fucked up. Yep. They fucked up. Yep. Yes.
0: Then we have Muriel C. Creamer. She was admitted in May 18th of 1963. She was an African-American housewife that was found dead in her room on Ward C on May 25th. So this was only a few days after she was admitted. Okay. She was found around 9 p.m. She had been strapped to her bed at the waist and her feet. And she had a muslin cloth around her neck and her death was ruined a ruined, ruled a homicidal strangulation. They believe it was her roommate. Her name was Wanda Maxine Jaynes, and she she was found either standing over her or on the other side of the room. There's conflicting reports on that. But she freely admitted she did it because Creamer had made improper advances toward her. Okay. Yes. Then we have one of the most famous ones, Dean Metheny. He was killed in 1987. He was 49 years old. Dean was a mute patient and had an intellectual disability that caused him to act like a small child, though he did occasionally become aggressive. Mm. So he was murdered by David Mason and James Woods. I saw actually two different reports on who actually killed him. I saw something about a Jim and James and then also David and James. So I'm not 100% sure who actually is at fault here.
1: I but think David James was for sure. Well, sure. I'm um, just saying. David
0: <laughs> David was 25 and James was 30. They snuck out, up on him for apparently no reason. They attempted to hang him. Basically, they would wrap a bedsheet around his neck, string him up on the pipe that was in the room.
1: They Are would these lift two him up patients as well. Yes, these okay. are two
0: very violent patients that they were in the same room with Dean. They would lift him up until he passed out and let him back down. And then lift him up until he passed mm-hmm. out and then let him back down. Eventually, they got tired of doing that and they decided that they were going to end it. So they put him down on the floor. They put the bed post of the bed on his head and then jumped on it until the bed frame touched the floor. Oh, good yes. God. Absolutely. Like... Just brutal. Just absolutely brutal. Yeah, Senseless. that's horrific. Yes. So in 1992, we had George Edward Bodie die after a fight with another patient. So the, he was 46 years old. He got into a fight with David Mason, who was one of the patients that was thought to have killed Dean Metheny. He tried to choke Bodie with his hands, but then Bodie fought back. And basically, David beat him to death and then they found him i think the next day mason never said what the fight was about or how it started
1: Huh? dang
0: 1992 we had brian scott lee he was 21 years old i found very little about this but he was thought to have committed suicide and he wasn't found for eight days wow and then there was a an undated event from a housekeeper recounting from Either this Mm -hmm. book or one of the other places that I was looking. There was a nice guy. He was younger. This is what the housekeeper is saying. He was a nice guy. He was younger. He didn't cause trouble. He got up one morning, put on his clothes, took his medication, got breakfast, got cleaned up, then went outside and jumped in front of a milk truck and was killed instantly in front of the Arts and Crafts building. Whenever the staff was brought outside to basically take care of him, the Mm -hmm. boss ended up saying, all right, go get the water hose, clean that mess up. Wow, that's just an, yeah an insight into how these people were thought of, which is awful.
1: Well, and not only how they were thought of, but the amount of deaths unreported they probably had. Yes, because if yes. he was just like, "Ah, it's another mess." Like we had twelve of those this morning. Get rid of it. Like, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. The most famous part of this, outside of what we've already talked about, is the absolutely horrific conditions that these patients mm-hmm. were in. So the they were first noted in 1938, whenever the mental hospital survey committee was asked to evaluate the hospital. So they received mostly mentally ill, epileptics, alcoholics, drug addicts, and non-educable mental defectives. That's the patient intake. Okay. At the time that they were visiting, there were 661 patients. I'm sorry. 1,661 patients, 940 of them were men, 721 were women. There was a lot of disrepair in the buildings. Some of the people were sleeping on metal beds. Some of them were on cots. There were areas of the hospital that were so decrepit that they should not be being used, but they were still used because it was so overcrowded. Yeah. There's a report that that's likely played a role in its closing over time. The problem was... World War II was coming. So, a lot of all of money that would have gone to repairing this was used for the war. So, yeah. in 1949, Mrs. Charles Hoag wrote to the paper about the conditions of Weston State Hospital. She said that there were more than 1,800 men and women jammed into rooms with as many as six or seven people in one room. Most of them slept on the floor in freezing conditions. The old section of the hospital was. Miserably decrepit quarters, which could never pass minimum inspection standards for domesticated animals. Damn. So, splintered wood, urine-soaked floors, not enough tables and chairs, large rooms lit by a single spare light bulb, and little to no heat. Mm. The one of the patients, so she went in to actually interview some of these patients, and she went into I think one of the seclusion cells, and she got there as that particular patient was being fed his food and she said that it smelled terrible and the patient in the seclusion cell next to them said it looked like a hog pen it smells even worse yeah wow. some of the windows had so much grime on them that daylight could not get through it
1: oh mrs
0: hoag was like nah bitch and she started writing into the paper i think this was the charleston gazette whenever she started writing into this she sent every single day since she did her initial expose on this january 3rd 23rd of 1949 she writes in quote any way you look at it it comes out that the people who run our mental hospitals are doing a fine job under insurmountable handicaps disgraceful conditions are not their fault it is the fault of the people of the state who refuse to furnish and fund the proper care for our mentally ill. The next day, she says, quote, there can be no valid excuse for the state to subject its unfortunate wards to human inhuman indignities. Then the next day she writes in the contrast between the good and the atrocious at Weston is a direct challenge to the people of West Virginia to give all our mentally ill what is now available to only What is now available only to a pitiful few. The next day, she says, "Are the people of I know quote Are the people of West Virginia willing to condone the inhuman conditions of our mental mental institutions?" This finally gets the West Virginia legislature to visit the hospital. They see how awful it is. They see that an entire ward is in complete disrepair and is actually should be what do they call it whenever, like. You you should not go into it. Condemned? Condemned, thank you. Yes, so it should be condemned. So the hospital at this point is given more resources to make repairs, and the patients were moved out of the old wings while the repairs were done, and they were very shortly moved back in. These renovations still did not meet their needs for treatment. Shocking. The Charleston Gazette in 1985, so this is right before the asylum was actually closed down. They exposed that the asylum was dirty and unkempt and that patients were left naked and confined to dirty wards with bathrooms smeared in feces. Ew. Yes. So the deaths, this is where we get into the, the markers and you were like, what about, you know, where are all these 2000 bodies going and that kind of thing. Those who died had their next of kin notified. Often the next of kin would not come by to claim or identify the bodies. Yes. The bodies who were unidentified were given a number. They were buried in the cemetery and then given a simple marker with the number on it. However, when repairs were needing to be done, the markers would get repurposed and that would leave no way of identifying the body. God right now, because no bodies were ever cremated, all of them were buried the cemetery has 2,000 people in it that most of them cannot be
1: identified. Jeez. And I'm yes. sure they're not, like, one per grave either.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that at this point it's, yeah,
1: <sighs> just impossible to, yeah. Now, you probably could. I mean, I I couldn't. You couldn't. But with all the DNA technology and everything, they probably could go through and start trying to identify these definitely because they should have enough like familial dna in one way shape or form to get to that person
0: yes and that's well that's assuming that the familial dna has actually been submitted by that person's family right yeah so yeah yeah. but you could always dna type them and keep it on file just in case it does happen one day yeah yeah so the different hauntings that we have in trans Mm -hmm. allegheny are numerous. I was st- it's in the book and in the dissertation and all the things that I read. It's not as much as Waverly Hills Asylum, which I'm going to go over eventually, but there's still a bunch. So on the first floor, we've got the Civil War wing and or the veterans area. We have Ruth. She was a former patient who is violent towards men. She likes to throw things at them. She will push people. She whistles and she is said to haunt that
1: particular hallway. When you say whistle, I'm assuming it's not like a tune. It's like a, like a whoop kind of whistle. Like, yeah.
0: Yeah, probably. Yeah. So the second floor, they see shadow figures, of course. There is reports that a man was stabbed 17 times and that two patients committed suicide. I wasn't able to find too, too much on that, but I, it was mentioned in some of the hunts that I, talk about in a minute so apparently two patients committed suicide at the same time they hung themselves with their own bed
1: sheets in the same room or just like coincidental no in the same room yeah Yeah, in the same room packed
0: on the second floor they typically have evps of get out they'll have names being called people tend to feel the emotions of anguish and grief and some people feel suffocated Mm. so the third floor is the geriatrics nurses quarters and auditorium this is where Dean's room is, so Dean Metheny. He's a very quiet spirit. He speaks up and will hang out with you as long as Big Jim and Dave don't, or David don't show up. So Big Jim was the name for James. If they do show up, he'll vanish. vanish.
1: So they're still there?
0: So they. my understanding is that that energy is residual, and okay. whenever that energy replays itself, he will shrink back from Okay. There's also Nurse Elizabeth, Elizabeth, dressed in an old fashioned nurse uniform. I said Elizabeth. So
1: Elizabeth, Elizabeth.
0: So she's dressed in an old fashioned nurse uniform. She can be seen carrying a medicine tray around the corridors. You always see her from the corner of your eye. And if you ever look directly at her, she vanishes. Then we have Big Jim or David Mason. So Joe, Joe was the other one that I saw Joe and David. But these are Dean's murderers. The energy of the room changes whenever they make themselves known. They will make people very ill and uncomfortable when they show up. Okay. The upper floors are incredibly active. These are supposedly the most active parts of the asylum. So it starts with Lily. She was a former patient in Ward R. She was on the fourth floor and she was born in 1863. And the legend that goes with this, I'm not sure if it's legend or if it's actually documented, but she was born in the asylum to her mother. Her name, mother's name was Gladys. I mean, obviously, she was born to her mother. Nope. She just appeared next to her mother. She just... Poof. <laughs> poof. She, her mother reproduced asexually. She just she was like, This is my <laughs> child. <laughs> so Gladys was supposedly raped by Civil War so- soldiers and... She went crazy because of it. So they admitted her and found out she was pregnant when she was admitted. She passed away during childbirth, which left the infant alone. The hospital staff named her Lily. Lily lived in the asylum for the rest of her life. Very short life. She contracted pneumonia and that killed her at age nine. Wow. So. She is a very playful spirit. We typically see balls moving independently. You'll hear child laughing. All of your electronic equipment will start to go off whenever you're in Lily's room. There Mm -hmm. are lots of toys and trinkets in her room. And there is a little pink music box that she likes to play. And it will play on its own. That's her favorite item. Hmm. Yes. There's also an entity known as Slewfoot. I'm sorry, what? Slewfoot, Slew Slough, foot. Yes. Por qué? I, they didn't say why he's named that. That's just his name. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Roamed the upper floors. And so this was a patient. He roamed the upper floors and he killed and tortured people in the upstairs bathroom. He haunts that bathroom and the upstairs floors. Okay. And then there was also a man named James that died of a heart attack in an upstairs bathroom. Apparently he stayed out of trouble when he was at the asylum, so there's not a lot of information reported on him.
1: How sad he was like yeah, I'm just trying to like not make trouble, and then he dies, and he's like, and I'm still here. Yep, yep.
0: So there's also a large black mass-like object that they think is the a demon. Um, it's like whenever they asked what it was, it came back as saying demon. I don't know what I believe on that, but there is a I don't a know, black... because
1: I do feel like if I was a ghost and they were like, what are you? I would be like, a oh,
0: demon.
1: I'm a like, fucking
0: demon. I'm a yeah. demon,
1: bitch. And that's, I would, it would probably come out exactly like that too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a demon, bitch.
0: So that um. actually plays into something that I learned later in one of the, the hunts that I, I have. So keep that okay. in mind. So, there's also the creeper that crawls along the floor. He likes to slither along the walls and the floors, and I don't like it. Yeah. And then a man named Jacob Ayers, or Ayers, he was admitted Ayer. for alcoholism. And-, <laughs> and they think he was a Civil War soldier. And, yeah. There are Civil Civil War soldiers that are seen in the halls all over the property because we had all that stuff going on in the Civil Stealing War. Stealing shit. Stealing shit. If you go into the lobotomy recovery area, you can hear murmurs. You can hear cries of sorrow. Yeah. You can always see dark creatures racing around the corners. And they're supposed... Oh, yeah. Ooh, I no, don't, don't like, like that. Mm -mm. Don't like. Yeah. Mm -mm. And then there were two teen boys in the 1940s who died that were patients in the asylum. People will leave like vodka and cigarettes and cards and stuff like that for them
1: so that they can play and have a good time in the afterlife. They're 14. Yeah. (laughs) Which, of course, my brain is like, they're 14 and people are leaving them vodka. And I'm like, Whitney, they're dead. They're (laughs) dead. Yeah. (laughs) They don't live up to society's rules. Just give them the vodka. They're dead.
0: Yes. So the different hunts that have taken place here, we've got, of course, the big shows that have come out there. Ghost Hunters went out there in 2008. Ghost Adventures went out there in 2009. Paranormal Lockdown in 2018. Portals to Hell in 2019. And then some smaller names. I found two names, but I could only find one hunt. The other one required me to download TikTok. And I I I downloaded TikTok, but then I got distracted and didn't have time to look it up. So one is Ghost Hunter named Kalani. Uh, okay. apparently relatively famous on Twitch and that kind of stuff. And then another one is Mindy on the move. She went out there in 2019 and I watched her video and pulled some interesting stuff from it. So on top of that, the actual trans Allegheny owners have their own ghost hunts and paranormal events. So the have a ghost hunt of the main building. It's eight hours public res you have to have a reservation for it it's a hundred dollars per person and you bring your own equipment let's go yeah you're locked down in the building from 9 p.m to 5 a.m the same time is for medical forensics and geriatrics buildings that's eight hours public reservation required a hundred dollars per person bring your own equipment and then they also have private hunts eight hours a reservation required 150 per person with a minimum of 10 people and this basically means that you've got the entire area to yourself they pull everybody out
1: like do i know 10 people
0: i know i thought about i was like no i don't have 10 people that i could bring
1: (laughs) but between between both of us we could come up with 10 people we could could, because we count as two so we we only need eight more so you need four i need four
0: I'm bringing Divya for sure because I want that would just be hilarious. And then I'm (laughs) going to bring Tori because, of course. And then I don't know if I would bring Laura because I think that she would just, she would be like, y'all, I'm going to stay in the car. It didn't
1: say that they have to participate. True that. Oh, loophole. Uh, Duh. (laughs) She could be our, our, what is that? Home base. Home base.
0: Yeah. 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 I think between the two of us, we could come up with 10 people. We'd have to bring mom and dad and probably Stacy, too.
1: Well, there you go. So we've got what, five of us? So we just need five other people. Yeah. We could do that. Yeah. Right. That was mad. And yep, five. And $1,500. <laughs> Details. <laughs> Details. <laughs>
0: yes. So in the event that you happen to go to a special event like Asylum Ball or Hearst Mania, they have. Hearse media. I still want to go now. I
1: don't even know what it is, but I want to fucking go.
0: I know, yeah. So apparently those are annual events, so we should figure out when the next one will be, and we'll go to that. Cool. They have flashlight tours that are 30 minutes each, $11 per person, and you can go visit three different areas, or there are three different types. There's the Time and Punishment one, where you can go to wards two, three, four, and 6, Discarded Souls, Ward D, Arts and Craft Hallway and the Auxiliary, Women's Auxiliary, or Chasing Shadows, Wards B, E, R,
1: and S. So, okay. I know the names, the names. I'm like, is that one that runs like every hour? Cause like $33, you could do everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, definitely. They
0: may only offer like, During this special event, we're doing this tour, you know, that kind of thing. All right, the evidence that is mildly compelling. Of course, the big shows have much more evidence than the little, you know, Mindy's or even the lockdowns that Trans-Allegheny does. So I'm going to start with the Ghost Hunters episode that they went out there with. If you're not familiar with Ghost Hunters, it's the Transatlantic Paranormal Society and it's Grant and Jason and all of them, they... They've since restarted. Grant has rejoined the team. It's a whole thing. So this is one of their very, very it's first drama, honey. It's drama. drama, honey. I basically went through and watched as many of these as I could because I, I ended up a little squished for time, but that's okay. So in this one, we see Joe, Kristen and Chris. And I know if you haven't seen Ghost Hunters, these names mean nothing to you, but that's okay.
1: We see three
0: people, three people. They hear people walking on the fourth floor. Remember, the fourth floor is extremely active. Uh, Mm -hmm. Joe thinks that he hears a woman's voice. Jason and Grant, the two lead investigators, are in the Civil War section. They see lights or balls of lights that are moving left to right in the hallway, right to left. And right after they see this ball of light, they hear a very loud clanging followed by a voice. And Jason... Is like, the hell was that? And so he goes down to one of the rooms and kind of peeks inside. And when he peeks inside, he hears that same voice again. But he can't figure out what it's saying. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: While they're in there, they're talking about what just happened. And both of them hear a child laugh between them. And they are like, nope, time to go. (laughs) So (laughs) They tell this to Chris and Kristen and... Chris and Kristen go to the Civil War section and they confirm these things that are happening. Chris Mm. thinks that it's a leaky pipe. Kristen is legitimately freaked out about what's going on. Then we have Steve Gonzalez and Dave Tango. They're hanging out in the forensic building. They hear movement and laughter when Steve is explaining that this is an all-female building Tango goes outside to try to laugh. Like maybe there was somebody outside that laughed and it contaminated, but they can't recreate what just happened. They also hear lots of movement and footsteps throughout the episode. And then Jason and Grant, they're in the kitchen a little bit later. They see moving shadows and whispering in the kitchen area. Mm -hmm. So those are the big evidences that they caught. Ghost Adventures, of course, went out there. This was actually their first live event that they did so this was a combination of of course zach nick and Aaron, debbie the very late debbie and mark constantino chris fleming who is a medium and then robert bass who i actually don't remember i don't know who robert bass is and i wasn't mm-hmm. googling it so you weren't googling All right. it yeah i wasn't googling it googling it Go- <laughs> that's what the kids are saying they're saying Googin it Googin it <laughs> all right <laughs> yeah sure yes so evps they did get a lot of direct answers to questions in their evps zach of course gets an evp that says i hate zach and then shocking uh, shocking and then they get a evp that says zach and nick get out
1: which i would have been like yes goodbye <laughs> so. goodbye i like that <laughs> so- they didn't say air and they were like no 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 we're cool nah. with Aaron. Which, Aaron, I mean, chill. He can stay. Totes It's Like, yeah. Aaron, you're the best. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So they also captured a little girl's disembodied voice, which remember, we do have Lily running around. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zach and Chris see an apparition on the first floor, moving to the left three times, and that's followed by an orb of light. Moving to the left three times, like,
1: slide to yeah. the left. Slide <laughs> to the
0: left. So Kiss I think pounds. that it was... It was three separate times that they would see it out of the corner of their eye a figure going from right to left and then it would be like a residual where it it replays that okay
1: okay yeah. I was like I mean if they are doing the Cupid Shuffle like sweet <laughs> <laughs> like sweet. awesome <laughs> sweet cha-cha so They're
0: smooth <laughs> <laughs> ding, ding, ding,
1: ding. okay so <laughs>
0: <laughs> Lots of spirit box responses, of course. Zach, Debbie, and Aaron see a shadow that's running back and forth on the wall of the fourth floor. And then Zach, of course, has something touch him a couple times. And he captures a picture of an orb that's shaped like a skull. I looked for this picture,
1: could not find it. Is this like the orb that looked like something from that dude, but it actually just looks like a turkey? From our ghost what? tour thing, remember the ghost tour? He was like, look, look oh this yes, orb," and I was like, "That yes. looks like a Thanksgiving turkey."
0: Yeah, I was like, "That's a fucking bug." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I don't know. I I looked for the picture, and of course, Travel Channel. You can't even watch this episode anymore. It's nowhere. I tried to watch really? it. Yeah, yeah. That and the the ghost hunters one, I could not. I found the ghost hunters one on Daily Motion. So, it's illegal. Wow. It's being streamed illegally. But yeah, Ghost Adventures, this entire episode has been completely erased. So, what I did get to watch is Paranormal Lockdown and Portals to Hell. They are two of my favorite things because I am in love with Katrina Weidman. Katrina Weidman, marry me. All right. <laughs> Paranormal Lockdown. This is a series with Nick Groff and Katrina Weidman. They lock themselves in the locations for 72 hours with only them and their cameraman, Rob. So they're in Trans-Allegheny. They're starting their first night. And Nick sees someone or actually, no, they're in their interviews at this point. They're talking to the owner of the asylum. And he sees somebody standing in the doorway in the women's auxiliary. So he does an on-the-spot EVP session. And he asks if somebody was standing in the room over there. And Katrina, a little bit after a pause, says, do you know you're dead? And when they replay it, the answer to the first question is yes. The answer to the second question is no. So they get oh. solid, like, tone and everything. Class A EVPs. But that when it says, when they don't know they're dead, that hurts my
1: heart. Like, Yeah, I just got, like, goosebumps and everything. Like, oh.
0: I feel yeah bad. yeah so i'm hoping like maybe when she asked that he realized he was dead and maybe he moved on or something but yeah that's i feel terrible. like if they had asked
1: me that i'd be like well now i do like fuck, <laughs> damn it <laughs> you ruined my day Be like yep that was me and they were like do you know you're dead and i'm like well shit God so fuck. i was going to the asylum ball tomorrow i was doing the hearse <laughs> hearse mania Hearst Mania, I was going to say Hearst Parade, but... <laughs> hearse Parade. <laughs> so, in Ward
0: F, they pull out your very favorite device, the Geobox. And yeah. Nick...
1: <laughs> yeah, it's I heard Nick it, a bunch it, of noise. No, you heard noise.
0: Yeah. While they're setting it up, the Geobox says Nick's name, and he's like... Damn it, because this is Nick's second time being at Trans Allegheny. Oh,
1: yeah, because he was with Ghost Adventures.
0: Yes. Yeah. So he's like, shit, they remember me. <laughs> <laughs> and at one point, Katrina asks, is anyone here with us? And the geo box says, come with us. And that's horrific, in my opinion. I shan't. I shall not.
1: <laughs> I will not.
0: <laughs> so they go up to the third floor, or I'm sorry, to the fourth floor after this. As they're walking by some doors, they're being really loud because they're trying to decide what they want to do. And all at once, all three of them hear somebody go, shh. <laughs> and Oof. Rob hears it. <laughs> yeah, Rob hears it. And he's like, did you hear that? And Nick turns around and he's like, yeah, I heard that. What was that? And he was like, Katrina, did you just did you just shush us? And she was like, no, that, that wasn't one of you. And so it turns out that they had all just been shushed by some cranky.
1: Ghost up on the floor. they are like, port. look, it was nice and quiet. I was enjoying my time. Now you <laughs> bitches came up in here. What the fuck? Yep. Quiet it up. So
0: Nick decides to do an EVP session and he sits down. He says, you know, it's really scary for me walking alone in the darkness. Is it scary for you? And he gets a
1: yep. Oh, just like that? Just like that yep. I was like, it oh, reminds damn. me. So here's a segue. One of <laughs> my favorite Instagram reels right now. It's this little girl and she's got chocolate all over her face. And her uh-huh. mom's like, what, what happened? And she's like, Well, so I was eating ramen and it like spilled everywhere. And so the mom goes, So did you like wipe your face with chocolate? And she goes, Yep. it's my favorite because the little girl is just so confident she yep yep i sure did i did
0: (laughs) it's fantastic yeah nick decides okay fine i'm gonna sleep here and dummy puts himself right in the middle of the hallway so his back is not against anything and decides he's gonna try to sleep there he at one point is trying to sit up and he hears something like a loud, unexplained bang behind him. Mm -hmm. At one point, Katrina is like, you know, I really like playing games because they think they're, you know, kids or like, yeah. And so she's like, I really like to play games. I like all kinds of games. I would love it if you played a game with me, what kind of game would you like to play? And the EVP that they get back
1: is shut up, bitch. Oh God. (laughs) She's (laughs) oh damn (laughs) i don't need you to play any games i need you to get out you guys came in you were loud you're fucking with shit you told me Mm -hmm. i'm dead get out you bugged me
0: then they go out to the women's auxiliary and they are the first people that have been let into the auxiliary which is kind of cool they pull out the geo box and they start asking questions it comes out as Initially, there's a woman's voice that comes through, but they can't understand what it says. And Katrina says, do you want to talk to us? And it says, don't say a word, but it's a male's voice. And they're like, it sounds like a male telling the female spirit, don't say anything. And so Katrina says, you can talk to us. You don't have to listen to him. And the male voice says, no. And Katrina says, why can't she talk to him? And the male voice says, I'm telling you. So Katrina says, you know what, if you can say my name, Katrina, I'll leave you alone and I won't ask her to keep talking. And the ghost box says Katrina. So sticking with that, she's like, no, I didn't fucking say my name. And so she listens to it again. She's like, oh, shit, they said my name. And so yeah. she was like, well, I guess I'm leaving. See you later. <laughs> so they, she left. Katrina starts getting chest pains and head pains in the morgue and she is a little bit sensitive and she thinks that she's picking up on how spirits died so the head pains maybe yeah. lobotomy yeah. yeah chest pains and she's laying there she asks somebody or she's while she's laying there she's like can you just like and she knocks on the side of the the drawer and she was like if you're here can you just and it's quiet for a minute and then you hear a ting ting and she was like <gasps> yeah. i would have been out of there i would have been radioing yeah. whoever the fucking hear me get me out of here i would be you would so. hear
1: that, like scooby-doo like I, uh, you would my <laughs> my legs
0: would make that sound yeah yes so in the basement that's where nick is sleeping he hears a lot of footsteps they end up bringing my two two of my favorite investigators in amy bruni and adam berry and so adam lays down and they give him a digital recorder and they all leave And so Adam keeps saying, like, you know, hey, is anybody with me? That kind of thing. And then at one point, something, like, shuffles next to him. They review his recorder whenever he comes to them. He gets an EVP that says, hello, Adam. And this is their second time being at Trans-Allegheny because they were there with Ghost Hunters.
1: Oh, damn.
0: Yes. So they were like, not only are these intelligent, but they remember you yeah yeah perhaps and i don't i don't necessarily see this next one rob their cameraman is a little bit more of a skeptic uh Mm -hmm. he doesn't get shaken very often so at the very end he sees something slithering behind katrina and he captures it on video it's this dark mass that slithers and it blocks out light and that kind of thing and they're like what the fuck is that but it it bothered him enough that he was shaking and he just Doesn't do that, is my understanding. Huh, okay. Yeah. So Portals to Hell is one of my other favorite shows. This is Jack Osborne and Katrina Weidman. They, and, nope, that's Amy and Adam. They like to bring in psychics and do a psychic sweep. And then they go through and do their investigation afterwards. So while they're there, they bring in a psychic named Michelle Bellinger. And she is incredibly gifted. She can, at one point, the owner is telling them about a woman that committed suicide. She was able to pinpoint the room where it happened. Wow. She picked up on Dean and his murderers. She said that he was a nonverbal, intelligent haunt. And he typically lays down on the floor prone. And he's, he's always looking up at whoever's in front of him. He's more of a childlike entity, but he can be aggressive whenever he wants to be. That and actually then, really
1: freaks me out, that description.
0: Yeah. Laying on the like, floor, looking up at you.
1: Yeah, that that's...
0: Yeah. It's not no. okay. He's known to
1: crawl along the floor. So I didn't need to know any of that. Just knowing that he existed was fine. <laughs> but for some reason, the crawling and the prone, like, I, I don't... I'm good. I get you. I get mm-hmm.
0: you. So... When they get up to the fourth floor, she picks up on a very intelligent and imposing force. And one of the things that she says is she picks up that the spirits are purposefully scaring people because that's what people are expecting. Basically, the, the spirits are Aww. like, oh, you coming in here and you want to be scared? Here you go, bitch. And that's what made me think of when you were like, yeah, I'd be like, yeah, I'm a demon. <laughs> <You> I'm,
1: <know? laughs> I'm a demon. Her.
0: Yeah. Basically, she was like, they're scaring people on purpose. Because that's what people are expecting when they come in here. And that follows true with what I've said. The energy you bring into an investigation is the energy you get out of an investigation. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah, if you go in there, you're like, oh, it's going to be spooky. Mm -hmm.
0: Yes. Mm -hmm. So Katrina, when they start their investigation, she's hearing voices down the hall and they're audible, disembodied voices. At the exact same time, all the devices start, stop working. Her phone becomes corrupt, the geobox won't turn on, and the SLS cam just keeps rebooting itself. Huh. That's a weird instance.
1: That's interesting.
0: Perhaps one of my favorite interactions was when the rim parts, rim pod starts going off in Dean's room. They put some toys down and they put the rim pod next to it and they're sitting in silence and then all of a sudden the rim pod starts to go off like he's coming towards the toys. (laughs) I know you're thinking of him crawling. Yes,
1: and it's not okay. (laughs) I don't, why do you have to tell me that part?
0: I'm sorry. So this part might lighten, lighten it up a little bit. He does intelligent responses to the question. She says, light it up green if yes, and do nothing if it's no. So Katrina asks, did you die in this room? And it lights up green for yes. Jack says, are you still scared? Nothing happens. Did you know the people that killed you? Yes. Do you get to move through the whole building? Yes. It's a fun toy, isn't it? Talking about the rim pod. Yes. Do you like us being here, having someone to talk to and play with? Yes. Dean, is that you affecting our REM pod? Yes. I'm going to try something. Okay? Yes. At this point, they bring forward a mask that was created by one of his killers in the arts and crafts swing. The person had just recently died. So they set the mask down next to the toys in the RIM pod. And they say, do you know who this is? And they get nothing did we scare you can you come back nothing if we take this away will you come back nothing she then picks it up and says okay i think this is scaring you i'm going to put it away now and then she puts it away she comes and sits back down and she says we put that away so he can't hurt you okay yes if they get enough they start talking about you know see this is a compelling thing and you know maybe it's They just want to be seen. They just want to be heard. And Jack says, if they get enough acknowledgement, they may be able to fulfill their mission and move on. And the Rimpod says, yes. And then, yes. And then Katrina, as they're leaving, they have the laser grid shining down the hallway towards Dean's room. And she turns around and she says, Dean, I would love it if you could could come out and show yourself to us. Could you just go back and forth in the thing? And as she's saying this, the REM pod starts lighting up. Yes. Right after that, there was an unexplained noise that occurred and it turns out the unexplained noise was a door closing on its own. Huh. But they didn't so, get anything
1: slithering on the floor.
0: No, no, they didn't okay. get anything. No. All right. So next is Mindy on the move. She is a, it's her, her husband and her cousin that are out there and She uses her phone. It's like an ITC app on her phone. So I'm not 100% sure how I feel about this. There's a lot that can... It could just be a random word generator. Right. But she is in one of the rooms and it pops up as name. The word comes through as name. And she says, my name is Mindy. What's yours? And it comes up as Debbie. She then gets the following set of words, one right after another. Cold baby, maggots, worm, marker, find her. Ooh. Yes. And Mindy was like, what the fuck am I? Who am I finding? Like, yeah. So she was like, clearly this woman, her baby is buried somewhere. And I'm she's telling me to find her, but I can't get like baby's name or because she was trying for a significant period of time to get information about this. And it just stopped. I mean,
1: it would not surprise me at all if the little nine year old girl, if she was not. The only child that was born oh, yeah. in the facility. I mean. Oh, yeah. Surely with that many, like, men and women, especially if they are mentally ill or just criminals. Yeah. Like, yeah.
0: there It is documented that many children were born in the asylum and many of them just lived in the asylum for their entire lives. Yeah. Yeah. She also, at one point, gets a child laughing or screaming. I couldn't really tell. I could hear it, but I couldn't really tell which one it was. And she asked, are you young? And the phrase that came back every single word, one right after another, was, you are not. And she was like, no, I'm not young. I'm 29. <laughs> so that was Honey, the interesting- that's
1: young. Okay. That's young. Coming Just from 36, that's young. Keep. Keep up with your 29-year-old, all right? <laughs> and then finally,
0: the Trans-Allegheny Organized Ghost Hunts. So I picked out, there are a bunch of stories in that book that I I was talking about, but I picked out the ones that were from actual, like the paranormal investigators. So one of the groups is the Spirit Rising Paranormal. They got an EVP when they were discussing the size of the room of the nurse, nurse's quarters. They got an EVP that said, it's small.
1: <laughs> and the so nurses' quarters were
0: tiny. It's itty it, 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 bitty small. It's
1: tiny bitty, not so yes. small.
0: So a couple of the investigators were talking during the another EVP session. They were just kind of talking about what to do next. And they heard and got a recording of, they heard it in real time and got the recording of something talking. And... The guy that was with this girl, he was like, you're talking. And she was like, it wasn't me. And he was like, I swear, I heard you say something. When they listened back to it, it was a male's voice saying, get out now.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah,
0: I'd be like, okay, <laughs> thank you, goodbye. <laughs> 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 so, <laughs> At one point, they were fixing their camera straps and that kind of stuff. They got an EVP saying, is that George?
1: Hello? George? 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 Gary is George? No, this is Patrick.
0: (laughs) This is Patrick. His man is (laughs) an instrument. Oh, they also got an EVP of a old man
1: wheezing like he was having trouble breathing. Oh, it was like, like he was laughing like you or? (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) I say as I
0: promptly wheeze. (laughs) So then there's the Hubbard Paranormal Society. They saw shadows in the kitchen. They heard lots of disembodied voices. They saw full bodied apparitions. The Talkington Paranormal, there was a man in, I believe, the women's auxiliary area that okay. he had a woman singing Frère Jacques in his ear. What? In his ear? In his ear. Like, he was the only one that could hear it, and it was in his ear.
1: Ugh. Yeah. Like, it would be one thing if it was just, like, singing Frère mm-hmm. Jacques, but the fact that it's only in his ear, that's, like, at La Salle. Like, I swear. that You was heard in somebody my- Yeah. Like in my ear, mm-hmm. but all we got was like, oh, so like, oh, yeah. I, I that's just, oh, that's so weird. Okay. Yes. Oh. And then in that same room, he got an EVP
0: of a woman speaking French. Yeah. Yeah. MD Paranormal. They were on the fourth floor when they saw the creepo, the creepo, the creeper. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is the creepo? The, <laughs> my- my brain <laughs> combined creeper and shadow in a game out creepo. <laughs> <laughs> the creepo. <laughs> the creepo. The creeper shadow figure crawled out of a door on the right, down the hall towards them, and then went into a door on the left side of the hallway.
1: I just need you to know I'm pulling my feet closer into my blanket right now. Like <laughs> I like wah, wah. She doesn't like the crawling. I don't like the crawling. They go down to investigate
0: this. It turns out that the door the thing went into was blocked by another door laying on its side, meaning that you couldn't get into that room. In addition, I'm not
1: following that (laughs) shit.
0: Fuck that. The space that was there was not big enough for an animal or a person to get through, and the room inside was empty. The last one was a woman from a group called the Haunted Housewives. This is a group of sensitive women from Ohio. And I was like, "It's fancy. I want to be I a I want to know housewife. them. <laughs> we should become friends. Let's find yes. them. So she saw a tall, thin shadow figure slide across the wall at super speed in Ward 2. And it was about nine feet tall. And then in addition, the women she was with, she started feeling something tickling on her. And she was moving her shoulders and stuff to kind of like on the back of her neck. And... They noticed and they were like, are you okay? And she was like, no, there's something on me, like a bug or something. And so they went and looked and they were like, no, there's nothing on you. And she was like, are you sure it didn't go down my shirt or something? And so they're looking. And as they're looking, she's like, oh, now it's burning. She had three scratch marks down the back of her neck. Ah. Yes. No. Yes. And on that very creepy note, that is my rundown of the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum.
1: Wow. Yeah. That was a lot. It was a lot. Yeah. It was.
0: But it was fascinating. Like, the entire time I was looking through this, I was just like, holy shit, this place is crazy. Like, I don't. Yeah. I feel like I would have to have, like, I'd have to have 10 people in that private tour. <laughs> and then I would have to have, like, like, one person for comic relief. Can I bring a comedian with me to be like, I want Shane Madej to come with me. You're going to have, who a, I want. Like-
1: It's going to be like your people and then you're going to have like your therapist there and be like, just (laughs) just so you know what's happening to me so we can talk about this later. Like, yeah, or just like in the middle, if you're like, I'm having a breakdown. I need my therapist. Please help therapist. (laughs) (laughs) My therapist would be like, nah, bitch, you did this to yourself. (laughs) But Yeah, like we should we should reach out and be like, hey, Shane and Ryan, you guys should go out with us. We're gonna get the uh, the Haunted Housewives to go with us, and mm-hmm. I'm always gonna reach out to the girls at Morbid because I think they would have uh-huh. fun. So and let's, Aaron like, fucking good- Goodwin and Aaron yes. Goodwin, yeah,
0: and yeah. Katrina Weidman because marry me, Katrina Wideman.
1: Okay, I'm gonna have to separate you two. <laughs> yeah.
0: But yes, it was a lot of fun, and I enjoyed researching it.
1: So. yeah it, it sounds yeah. like it was crazy yes so cool. if
0: you've ever gone to the trans allegheny lunatic asylum and you have some creepy ass stories i would love to hear them so send 100%. those in yes to the ghost sisters tx at gmail.com and feel free to hit us up at our instagram or reddit or whatever all the things we have at the ghost sisters tx or the ghost sisters
1: And we will spook you bitches later. Spook you later, bitches. Bye. Bye.